0: We play at a certain level, not very competitively, but we're, we're pretty average, like a little better than <laughs> average.
1: Like, like average good.
0: good. I'm going to say
2: you guys are good. I'm just going to go <laughs> and say I, I feel like you guys are good. You have the look.
1: Oh, Josephina, she said we have the look of yep, being the look, good the, players.
2: The great tennis players.
0: Ooh, I'll take well, on. that's very flattering. <laughs> Tell
1: that to our coach. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravia
0: and Josefina.
1: Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravia and I
0: are a college and high school gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship.
1: And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Uh, so, welcome to another episode of Hold On To Your Racket,
0: and today we have a very exciting guest, and that is Blair Hanley, a very accomplished tennis journalist, so definitely somebody that we are excited to be talking to as aspiring tennis journalists ourselves. And um, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting episode, starting with some like interview about Blair herself and then we're going to get into some tennis talk because why not do that then with the best there is and then some fun questions yes so welcome Blair well thanks guys I appreciate that
2: intro Josephina I feel very honored to be here I wish I were doing this stuff when I was your guys age the fact that you are you made this happen you are doing your own podcast I think it's great and keep up the hustle awesome job
1: Thank you. This is one good thing that came out of COVID. Um, (laughs) That's for sure. So to introduce Blair, she's got quite the impressive um, resume to her name. And we're going to share that with you. Um, So, Blair grew up playing tennis in Florida, and then at the Division I level at Rice University, go Owls, um, where she achieved a career-high ITA ranking of number 30 in the nation, and led the team to their first conference championship. Um, In addition to playing on the WTA tour briefly, she also managed to double major in economics and managerial studies. So, we have an educated queen amongst us today. Um... (laughs) After college, she worked in a variety of positions within the tennis world, including, um, I believe, as both a consultant and a highest-level USPTA-qualified coach. So, Josephina and I have mentioned this a bunch on the podcast, but the past few months, we've been sort of helping out, coaching some 10-and-under classes at the um, facility where we play. Um, so, not to that level of qualifications, <laughs> but we've dabbled in coaching, so... Um, and then blair started getting into doing some written tennis journalism on the side and i mean look at her now
2: <laughs> thanks for that i love my favorite part of that was and this is the, probably the most accurate she played on the wt tour briefly <laughs> it, was, it was very brief but it was long enough to sort of get an idea of what life is like at the lowest levels of professional tennis uh, <laughs> I have a whole lot of respect for anyone who goes from from the 10,000s, the 15,000s, the 25,000s up to, you know, sticks it out and, and makes their way to the top 100 and into the, the Grand Slams. It's it's a tough road.
0: <laughs> well, you've definitely transitioned well from kind of the on-court life to the off-court kind of watching and reporting because as of now, you've covered all four Grand Slams, the Tour Finals, the Billie Jean King Cup, Three Masters, one thousand events, and several other U.S.-based tournaments,
1: and the Labor Cup. So that is quite the resume. We frequently see you creating fun content with the players on tour, leading on-court interviews, hosting events at some of the biggest tennis tournaments, and even dabbling in the occasional TikToks. So with all of that, I'm obviously referring to the Australian Open 2021 quarantine TikTok. Um, with all of that, once again, welcome. Blair, we're very excited to have you. you're like, who we see as our we're, we we like, how do I say? I guess we're we're following in your footsteps, hopefully. Oh well, I we're doing.
2: that I feel so honored and flattered and all the things. And let me just tell you, you guys have a massive head start because when I was your age, I had no idea what I was doing with my life. Still, sometimes I wonder, do I do I know what I'm doing? With my life? <laughs> Um, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm extremely thankful. Um, uh, you know, not to sound too cheesy, but I do feel blessed that, you know, I feel like God has opened doors for me. I've, I've certainly worked hard, but, you know, doors have been opened and I have met a lot of people along the way who've been very kind to me and encouraging. And, you know, they are as you might imagine, people who maybe aren't so much that way uh but i'm I'm always thankful for the people that are and hope that I can be that for others so yeah i I just love running into people like you guys who who want to do this, and we need you know new young voices so that's that's for sure
0: awesome uh well, thank you. I think you may have given us a better intro than we gave you but <laughs> um just So before we jump into it, just in general, like since you are obviously a tennis journalist, as we've discussed, um, how would you describe your job? Just like on a day to day basis, what you do, like what you enjoy about it, what you don't, just everything.
2: It's funny you asked that question because that is one of my hardest when people ask me, you know, when I'm, I don't know, at church or when I'm at, you know, my kid's playground and somebody's like, well, what do you do? And I then try to explain that. I generally, I, 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 I've, I've boiled it down to, I work in tennis media is usually what I say. And usually people look confused. Um, so it's a broad job title because I have been able to do a lot of things. Um, Usually some combination of on-court emceeing, so hosting in a stadium, um, getting to do the walkouts for the players, the post-match interviews, and then also doing a lot of digital hosting. So for instance, uh, I'm going to be leaving next Friday to go to Cincinnati, and there I'm going to kind of be their roving host. So I'm not going to necessarily be on a stadium, but they have a lot of fan facing interviews. So I'll do a Mm -hmm. lot of those with the players. And also, I'm going to be in a, a dark room for about three straight days uh, where we get a sort of a revolving door of players coming through. And I'm going to be doing the digital content for Cincinnati and then also a lot of the content for the USTA leading into the US Open. So I, I like to try to keep a balance. Um, I love the on-court stuff. Uh, it's so fun to do the fan, to have the fan interaction, to play off of that energy, the post-match interviews are generally usually pretty smooth. The player has just won. Um, you're, you're getting them at a high moment, which, you know, you can't always say for for the traditional presser. Um, but I like to have a balance between doing that sort of thing and also staying plugged in on the digital front because, and this will wrap up this very long-winded answer, but you guys know that the way that people get to know players especially today, more than when I started. I mean, I, I did my first stadium hosting job in 2015 um, and I've done a lot more of the digital stuff since then. And it's that's how people are getting to know players is through the digital content. Um, there are other outlets too, like, yes, going to the Tennis Channel desk, that is going to reach a massive at-home audience. Um, but not everybody is planting themselves on their couch and watching tennis all day to see such content. And so being able to put it out in uh, some of the less traditional channels, I think has become incredibly valuable luckily for me because people hire me to do that. So um, (laughs) I'm, I'm thankful that that's been the case and I really enjoy sort of doing that combination of things.
0: Yeah, Um, and we definitely get what you say about like how important social media is nowadays because, for example, when we started the podcast, it was just like an instinct to know that we had to launch social media alongside of it immediately. So it's like without social media now, you can't really get the word out. It's just how things are done. And it's great that like journalism has really evolved that way. And it's very cool how accessible it is, honestly, now. Um, But based on how you described your job, I'd say we would describe it as the dream job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great to know. I love that. I'm, I'm glad that you guys have something to shoot for because I'll be honest when I was, there was no such job as far as I knew when I was um, just starting college, there wasn't something I could look at and be like, yes, that, that sounds good. Um, So I love that that's, Something that exists now and that you guys can look at as a goal. That's great.
1: You know, we have a lot of young listeners uh, who, kind of like ourselves, are navigating tennis and sports um, throughout college and high school at whatever level it may be. But what was your experience like playing competitively at a young age? And um, obviously, you went on to play college tennis, but what advice would you give young players?
2: You know, I, that's a, I love that question. Uh, And I think that a lot of times the answer to that is, you know, follow your dreams, keep working hard. And all those things are true, but I'm going to steal my answer actually, because I thought it was so good. I recently um, had dinner with Chris Eubanks, who is one Mm -hmm. of my, uh, somebody who he's kind of almost like a little brother um, (laughs) at this point, which is nice. It's, it's interesting in my job, obviously you build relationships with players and sometimes those relationships are sort of, you know, they know who you are, you know who they are, obviously. And there's a comfort level there. And then sometimes they go a little bit past that where you start to learn about their lives and their families and things like that. And and Chris is one of those and he is absolutely lovely. But so I heard someone ask him this question and I thought his answer was so good. And he said, just remember that your journey isn't going to be like everybody else's. And I just thought that for me too, growing up, it's just so easy and, and it's professionally too. It's not just in tennis where you can look around and be like, well, that person, you know, I'm, I'm putting in the work. I, I'm, you know, I have the hustle. I'm doing all the right things. It hasn't happened for me yet. Um, and you can look over and see someone who, who may not, in your opinion have put in the work in the same way. And, and somehow they've skipped a few steps that are doing, you know, Winning tournaments that that you feel like you could win, or whatever it is, um, and so I thought that that was such great advice. So I'm going to steal Chris Eubanks' answer, and I am going to say, don't compare your journey to anyone else's. Obviously, the hard work is important. Um, yeah. But, but you know, especially in South Florida, that's where I grew up, and it is a cutthroat junior. Tournament. Oh yeah,
0: I've heard. <laughs>
2: yeah. It was, and it's. I mean, I'm sure it's the same now, but yeah, it was, it was hardcore. You had a lot of players who came to Florida. I mean, you hear the stories all the time of, you know, families who moved from other countries to bring their kids to Florida and train. And they were playing in junior tournaments in Florida. These kids who were like on the fast track to the pros, um, you know, obviously there aren't chair umpires on every court and lines people. So you had sort of, the the uh, the cheating aspect of things, which you always had to be on the lookout for, which made you suspicious of everyone, which I hated. I, I don't, you know, I don't like to think of myself as a as a cynical, suspicious person, but maybe I am. I don't know. But I if if I am, it started in junior tennis in Florida. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all of those challenges, whether or not you play tennis in college or make it in the pros, I would not be the same person that I am today. Without those experiences, Um, the adversity, the winning, the losing, and sort of learning how to do all of that better, you're going to be way better off. Also, the travel—that's another thing I would add. Um, I did a lot of traveling by myself, and there is no better educator. Um, So, all of those things—I just think, gosh, even if you don't think that the pros are what you're shooting for, even college, there's just so much value um, that comes from doing your best in junior tennis.
0: Yeah, awesome. So kind of like leaning towards that. We talk a lot about college tennis here on the podcast. Actually, our first guests were some uh, D1 women's players. So that was very fun. But um, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience playing D1 for Rice? Obviously, Division One is like this. It's just an insane level. And just how do you feel like you already kind of talked about, how do you feel that specific experience impacted just tennis, like your career, your life journey, just your outlook? I guess.
2: College tennis was something that I just wish everyone could experience. Really playing a college sport, if you if you go to college, I I, I whether it's intramurals or D one, I think any sort of camaraderie as far as that goes any having that team feel is so much fun. There's nothing else like it. You know that you have four years where you are, where these are like sisters and you're going to make the most of it for me. I always, and still to this day, balance has always been a struggle for me. I have always wanted to be very good at, you know, in college, I wanted to be very good at the academic side of things and I also wanted to be a very good tennis player and trying to figure out how to balance that and how to balance, do I want to go get an internship this summer or do I want to play ten thousands? What, what is the right thing to do? I, I certainly don't know that I have the right answer to that, but I think fa- finding the balance that works for you and where you can be the most mentally healthy is key. I think my freshman year, I maybe didn't do a great job of that. And, and had a couple moments where I was like, okay, we need to, we need to take a step back take a deep breath, reset. This is not the end of the world. Um, I have never been a particularly great loser. Um, <laughs> I, I will say I have gotten better at that, but, but in college I was not great. Um, I envy the pro players who I see, you know, sure losses sting and hurt, but You just have to pick yourself up and move on to the next week of tennis. And so, for me, I think I, in my freshman year, had to sort of reset a little bit in terms of where my balance was going to be. Um, Because you really just can't function at your highest level, whatever that level is, if you are on level 11 all the time, like white knuckling school, white knuckling sports and friends and trying to have a social life. It just is impossible and you'll short circuit and you know, fry. So yeah. I think finding, finding your balance, I think is key, but man, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was just the coolest thing, especially as a tennis player in an individual sport to be able to play with people. And, and I was very fortunate to have a team that I really genuinely liked. And so to be able to travel and do these, you know, be in the trenches together was there's just nothing like it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's crazy how everything you just described, it's something that you can experience, like basically at any level of your life. Like, for example, I, I feel like Shravi and I definitely we experienced the same thing, like trying to balance a lot of things. Like, for example, we like, like we said, we met through tennis and we play at a certain level not very competitively but we're we're pretty average like <laughs> a little better than we're average like,
1: like average good
0: yeah if average good i think average good I'm gonna Say you guys are good i'm just gonna go ahead <laughs> and
2: say I, I feel like you guys are good you have the look yeah
1: but oh, definitely like josephina she said we have the look
2: of yep, being the look, good players great tennis players
1: Ooh,
0: well, that's very flattering. Tell
1: that to our coach.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, like, something I've recently been thinking about is taking tennis a little bit more seriously since I am going into senior year and kind of I have this one year to really improve before I go to college. And then from there on, I could see, like, what teams I could play for but just in general kind of balancing that because at the same time I want to stay strong academically so there's all these things happening and I just like basically my idea is that I really relate to what you were just saying.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's it's really tough, isn't it? I mean, it's it's great. I always sort of envied the people who had a one track mind. Yeah. And- Yep. exactly what it was that they wanted to do um, you know some people knew going into college they wanted to be a doctor and it was all you know full steam ahead to that goal or you know people who knew that hey school's not my thing I'm going to be the amazing at tennis and dedicate everything to that it's just you know on one hand it's good to have options on the other hand it can make things a little bit more complicated
0: yeah. Yeah. yes totally yes. get that but um, going back to kind of college tennis and college players now, I guess, there's been lots of college players having success on the Pro Tour recently. So we have, like, Cameron Norrie. Um, oh, my God. Why Danielle am I blanking? Collins. Yeah. Lee. yeah exactly. Peter, and Lee. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Maxine Cressy. Yeah, the list yeah. goes on. A lot of them. Yeah.
0: So just, like, thoughts on that, how prioritizing tennis kind of on it the academic side kind of help with that, or just why we're seeing this surge now. Who, as far as timing,
2: that I don't know, um, and maybe that maybe it's because the level in college tennis has has gone up. I don't know. Um, but listening to Cam Norrie talk and just saying there's no way that he would have been ready at eighteen. Um, and, and who knows, I mean, the, the pro tour, especially the lower levels, as I mentioned, that that's, that's the area where I have a little bit of experience. I mean, I was sharing a hotel room with four girls and with, well, with three other girls, four of us to a room. And, you know, we were doing, you know, playing multiple pro-ams per 10 K just to like make an extra hundred or 200 bucks. It's a, it's a rough existence and and if you're not ready for that and to feel like hey if I don't succeed here I also don't have a college degree. In some ways I think there's a level of freedom that comes with knowing that you have something to fall back on. Um my college performance psychology professor would not agree with that. He was big on like all your eggs in one basket. Put them all in one basket and go for it. I just think in some ways though I mean, you guys know how important the mental game is to have in the back of your mind to know that if you lose this tennis match and it's your fourth loss, fourth, first round loss in a row, there's, there's something else. If you eventually decide that this is not for you, I'm all for pushing through adversity and, and sticking to it and all that great stuff, but it's not bad to have options. Um, And so I do think there's some freedom that comes with playing college tennis Um, but it's also, I I just think a maturity thing, really. Jenny Brady also talked about that where she, and, and it's funny, she, she, in terms of that, the topic of not comparing your journey to somebody else's, she saw, you know, she trained with Madison Keys and and some other girls in South Florida who turned pro and they always knew that they were going to turn pro. And she kind of felt like when she went off to UCLA, that there was maybe an element of failure in that. And it was just that her path didn't look like everyone else is that she grew up training with. And so it's a good reminder that I think maturity, yes, I don't know. Some people I'm sure are plenty mature at 18 if you were to talk to them, but there's just some aspect of learning how to lose, learning how to win, learning how to train, learning how to, I mean, and with the women's game, like learning how to eat well, to Lift, like there, there is just an element of maturity overall that I think is key, and a lot of people need college tennis to get that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um. Our next question is: so, moving um on from college, how did you find your way into tennis journalism, and also how did you feel that sort of your college experience um prepared you for this career? <gasps>
2: Well guys, I took one journalism class in college and I will never forget it, journalism like 201. And it was really hard, but I really liked it. And I knew that, and I've always sort of liked writing. I was in plays when I was younger. I I liked all sorts of things where you had to speak on a microphone or perform in some way. Um, But in terms of actually feeling prepared for what I do now, I still have imposter syndrome. Like I have not trained for this. Nobody ever told me that, you know, the quote unquote correct way uh, to do things. And so I still have moments where I'm like, mm, do they know that I don't know what I'm doing? But, <laughs> um, but I mean, cause I was an economics major, as you said, I, I did not have, I, I had that one elective class that I took in terms of actual journalism and the rest was sort of flying by the seat of my pants. My husband was playing minor league baseball um in 2010 I believe 2009 uh maybe and it was during that time I started writing for a tennis website and I wrote for free and somebody would you know some people would say don't ever do that I needed the practice and I needed the bylines and so I did it for free and I'll be honest I don't regret it I, I was glad for the experience because I didn't have any. I didn't I didn't really know what I was doing, even in the written side of things. Um, and so when he was finished playing baseball, he was playing baseball at the time. And when he was finished, we moved back to Houston. He had to finish school at Rice. And I took a job um, working for Tennis Now, which is a tennis website that that is still out there, still doing its thing. And I owe a lot to them because they have a really pretty significant uh, YouTube following. And I also applied for credentials places. And if I could find a cheap enough lodging, they usually said yes, (laughs) or they found a way, found a way to, uh, to make it work where I could go. And it was in those media rooms that I met a lot of people who were really helpful to me and people I still am friends with now, um, who really sort of helped me navigate Those early days when I, like I said, just didn't, was learning as I, as I went along. So I think Rice helped me as far as, you know, showing me that I could do hard things and breaking into the tennis world was a hard thing. And I think that's sometimes more valuable than anything else. Right. It's it's sometimes you have to just get out there and do it and jump into the deep end and figure it out as you go. But knowing that you are capable of doing the hard things, that's the thing that you can remind yourself of when times get tough.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was like maybe 12 ish, I would watch your tennis now videos like the grunt compilations. I would watch so many of those, like, the oh craziest gosh. WTA grunts or, like, things like that or, like, the craziest, like, on-court arguments, like, that I would watch those, um, that was my YouTube binging.
2: I would not, I would not be sad if some of those were wiped from the internet. <laughs>
1: Um the internet does
2: not forget I had my early days on camera for tennis now like I said had zero training and so just had to figure it out by watching myself and being like I look stiff or that <laughs> I, I look like I'm falling asleep or whatever it is and self-evaluating and be like the people who do it well don't do it quite like that um,
1: <laughs> that's why we don't listen to any of our like yeah. really old episodes we just no, don't even we want can to never. go back. Mm-mm.
2: That means there's progress, guys. That's a good sign. That is
0: That's true. That is true. I guess we're kind of lucky that we have each other to hold accountable because, like, it's kind of like a team thing. But just starting that individually must have been <laughs> pretty difficult. I I was thankful that I really liked tennis.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, and and you guys know like enjoying it and being in it and feeling like, at least I was confident in that aspect of things. I knew that I knew tennis Um, and that is definitely helpful.
0: Yeah. So kind of also leaning into that, just in general, your job, your career, what excites you most about your job? What do you think makes being a tennis journalist so unique from other sports? Because obviously there's a lot on that spectrum.
2: Totally. You know, So it's, it's, you are using the word journalist, and I would say that yes, in a lot of settings, that is how I would describe myself, but I almost have two sides to what I do. The journalism side, because I do enjoy, I like to keep my foot in the writing door, even though I do less of that uh, now, and that's where I see myself more as the journalist. When I do the on-camera stuff, I do like to ask hard questions, but when you're creating content that is more to show off somebody's personality, you're less likely to be asking, you know, I don't know, when you yelled at your box, you you know, do you, do you feel that you're sending the wrong message to junior tennis players, whatever it is, like I am in my role uh, digitally and on court, I am less likely to be asking the "quote unquote" hard hitting questions, um, and I am totally forgetting what the actual question was. Speaking of, where where, where am I going with this? So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: what was the question?
2: I got started talking about this because I, <laughs> I I I hate the word journalist, but but I sort of have those two sides, right? Yeah. Uh, but remind me where I was going.
0: Okay, so the question was what makes being like a tennis specifically journalist, or like you said, that other side, so unique from other sports.
2: (laughs) Um, Okay. So now that I've given you the caveat that, that there are some days where I don't really consider myself a journalist. One of the, one of the toughest things I think in tennis is just that it's really small. And so to ask the hard hitting questions, which I have that, motivation like I want to know I want to get down to the nitty-gritty and sometimes as you build a relationship with a player you feel like maybe you could do that uh but it's always a risk if you especially to do that in a presser when there are you know 20 other people in the room when you could be publicly literally publicly publicly humiliated um there there's a risk to going outside the box Um, and that is one of the things in tennis in particular that I think is hard just because you tend to see the same people every week the players see the same people a lot of the same people every week so it's very small if you were to make a misstep that was real bad it could potentially have repercussions but what what excites me is that after you've sort of built some of these relationships how can we do something that's new and different and that is what fires me up and what drives me from tournament to tournament there are a lot of the time I'm like, well, this is not going to be the day I do something new and different. But I just I definitely pitch a lot of things. A lot of them get shot down. Um, but my hope is that I can push and ask and not be afraid of the nose. And one day somebody's gonna say yes to a big idea that's never been done before in the sport of tennis and the way that this sport is covered and that. Like even talking about it gets me fired up because tennis has done a lot of things the same way for a long time. And some of it's great. And there are people who have worked on the sport, commentated on it, who are excellent. Um, but I just think that we are the way that people consume information is changing. And I think there is room to do things differently. I just, You know you have to convince the people with money that that is the case and sometimes those people with money have been around for a really long time and have done things the same way for a really long time and so it's just not it's not easy but it's what really gets me fired up
1: our next question is sort of about you know you do a lot of those interviews a lot of those um well the digital content that we see how do you prepare for them you know how do you come up with these ideas how do you want make sure that players feel comfortable um and it, i mean like we've seen hubert hercut sit in front of the camera or andre rublev and you know they're not the type who seem that they would be as natural as a francis tfo or an Ons jabor right so how do you make sure that players feel comfortable and let their personality shine
2: uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge depending on who the player is, and in terms of the the concepts, that is also a challenge because you not only have to get it past, especially if you're working for a tournament, and usually if you're doing these unusual digital concepts, you usually are. Uh, but you have to get it past the bosses at the tournament, and then the questions have to be sent to the. Uh, comms team at the tours, and then they send them out to the agents. And so there are several uh, areas where you could run into a wall and what, and I don't know if this is, this is a great strategy, but I have tried if I can to sort of keep things vague as far as the way that I describe it so that I can get in front of the player with the question, because so often especially if they know you and they've seen you before there, you can sort of work a question that might be uncomfortable or, or where you feel like, you know, how is he or she going to handle this? You can work it in person in a way that you can't, if somebody is seeing the concept written out on paper. And so I have hopefully built up a little trust in my old age to where people are thinking, okay, well, you know, Blair knows that, She could not have this job if she were to put a player in a compromising position. But I also, I try to make the player understand that if they're uncomfortable, just tell me and we'll skip it. And so, and there's a fine line with that too though because sometimes if they push themselves just a little bit outside of their comfort zone, you can come up with a really great piece of content and you can have something that allows fans to get to know a player in a way they might not have known them before. So it's just a, it's a balance. I mean, I feel like I've used that word a lot already tonight, but it's, it's finding the balance of pushing the boundaries a little bit and also making sure the player feels comfortable in the moment. But, but as far as coming up with the concepts to, to have something that makes it through all the several walls of of uh, of the challenges that go into you know these tournaments and and actually sitting in that seat in front of the players that is that's not easy
1: how do you come up with those ideas like is it through like watching like just scrolling through on social media something might inspire you or you kind of maybe your kids well I guess your kids are still a bit young but what is it that sort of
2: I definitely look at what other teams and, and sports are doing. Sometimes they don't translate perfectly. Um, And a lot of what I've noticed with, you know, football and baseball, a lot of what's happening are, are sort of like the, the sizzly type videos, the short visually, they're, they're visually stimulating. They're, yeah. they're less of a, let's get to know this person and more of a, wow, that's a really cool piece of media. And I think there's a place for that. And I also think that there's still a place for, for you sure. know, hearing from, you know, Hubie Hercotch. I think that there, <laughs> a good balance of both is, is key. Honestly, I, <laughs> it's just a lot of spitballing. And I have a friend, um, her name is Heather Crowley, who does a lot of digital content, uh, for various tournaments. And she is, I call her the idea generator. And she is, I I think you just have to find your one or two people who you can call and just be, and just throw out ideas and, and see what they throw back at you. And then you, Hey, you have this this overarching idea, how do we make it something that everybody's going to say yes to? Uh, So just, it's putting a lot of things on paper. And I think having a few people who you know and trust, and you guys already have that in each other, that that has been really helpful for me.
1: For sure. Josephina and I are definitely each other's sounding boards, whether it be about podcast stuff, life stuff, school stuff, whatever it may be. Um, so we totally understand that. It's nice to have that outlet. Um, we wanted to ask you about one specific experience um, recently, which was you covering the USA versus Ukraine uh Beijing King Cup um, match. What was that environment like? Because that was pretty soon after um, the news broke. There was a lot of um, you know raw emotion there. We saw a lot of gestures of solidarity from the U.S. team. Um, that environment specifically... You obviously have to take on um, a specific role in the position that you were in to um, meet that occasion. What was that like?
2: Uh, Guys, I think it's very astute that you brought this up because I actually went into that feeling concerned because my job as an MC is to be excited and rah rah USA, and it's the US versus. Another country and it's a home game, so to speak. And, and they're, you know, are American flags when the when the fans walk in, they get, you know, whatever the, the glasses are, the flags or the pom-poms. And and they're facing this country who is going through something absolutely horrific. And so it was, I was thinking, okay, how are we gonna balance the rah-rah USA? Go USA, we want the USA to win. With also making these this whole team who was just going through something so terrible, even even the anthem singer, we had uh, our anthem singer there. They do an incredible opening ceremony for Villaging King Cup. If you haven't ever been to one in person, highly recommend. Um, but she, her brother was in the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Um, I still hear the because I, I had to introduce her the name of her home city. You know, as far as bombings are concerned just absolutely horrible horrible um i it really could not have worked out any better the u.s won three two honestly i thought ukraine was gonna take the upset at one point there they the u.s ended up winning it in doubles but it was the perfect mix and praise the lord for that because ukraine got to have their moment there were so many ukrainian fans there were two against the odds singles wins and behind them, I'm doing the interview and I can see behind the player, just all these Ukraine flags, um, people singing. It just was really like, it gives me chills just talking about it. It was really special. And I was so thankful. Everything sort of took care of itself. We, there was so much money that was donated on, on behalf of various tennis organizations, four tennis plays for peace over that course of that weekend. So you had that aspect of things. And just, again, so many Ukrainian fans came out and there was a lot of respect from the American fans. It just couldn't have been a more special weekend and the U S still got the win. So (laughs) I feel like it was sort of a win, 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 as far as that was concerned. But yeah, that was, I was nervous going in.
0: Yeah. I mean, rightly so, because just, like kind of going into unprecedented territory of course but again like it's kind of these experiences that just like build your career and just your experience as a person even but um just back to tennis in general in a more general perspective from your very unique perspective what direction do you think tennis is heading into because we obviously have this like huge wave of next gen coming and then kind of I want to say decline of the big three, hopefully not, not so much so yet. And just a very diverse WTA tour, except for, um, but, uh, just in general, like, what do you think tennis is going to look like in the next like 10 years?
2: Guys, I have no idea. <laughs> Absolutely no clue. And that is kind of what makes it exciting to me. I, I don't, I don't know. It, you you said it there're just so many players who could do really great things and knowing that you could walk into the city open and have i don't know yoshihito nishioka win the whole thing i love having no clue and and having no uh, there there still is a hierarchy but it's it's less of one than it's been at other periods of time in tennis history and i personally am here for it
1: Yeah, And what about from like a fan and media perspective? We have this Netflix series coming. um, We have this push to bring in younger audiences into the sport, kind of with that um, social media, um, you know, tennis TV, kind of the stuff that you do, digital content. Um, And, you know, where do we see, where do you think that tennis is going in? Which direction do you think tennis is going in in that realm?
2: I hope that the netflix show blows up tennis the way that it blew up f1 um i think it might take a little getting used to for us you know tennis regulars who are oh yeah oh yeah there are going to be a lot of new fringe fans who feel like they you know know what they're talking about but that to me is what i think that's great for the game if somebody if Joe Schmo, who has watched the Netflix series and watches, you know, two slams a year has an opinion on tennis, that's good for tennis. And that has always sort of been my thought. I People are like, do you like so-and-so player? Like, tell us the truth. Do you really like so-and-so player? And if it's anyone controversial, and usually it is, if somebody's asking me that question, the answer is yes, I love it because you are asking me this question right now. Um, so I think, I think that that is, is great. And I, I maybe as the big three, you know, ride off into the sunset or slash, <laughs> um, slash Serena slash Venus, as, as that happens, having something like that Netflix show, a platform like that to introduce these people to a greater you know I am lucky that I get to do it on a pretty small scale Netflix is going to do it on a bigger scale and I I cannot wait
0: yeah we saw a little bit of that with the uh, Naomi Osaka series that came out on Netflix just very and then actually there's this new movie coming out with Zendaya that's also going to be about tennis and she's like a huge icon for Gen Z culture so I think that's going to be great as well kind of bring people to watch more tennis especially U.S. Open because I think it's set there but that should be very fun as well. Love yes.
2: all the pop culture tennis crossovers. I will take yes,
0: that. yes.
1: All right, we are going to speed through some kind of just checking in on some of the tennis this week, um, and because there's a lot of it, and then we'll conclude with our rapid fire. But to start with the City Open um we know you're a big yoshi fan and he is still here on the atv side we're going to talk about that first we have some i'd say kind of dark horses into the round of 16 um michael yemer yoshiso nishioka and dan evans are all through and nishioka i mean taking out demonore brooksby kachinov very exciting unfortunately taylor fritz did have to retire because of the heat the heat was pretty crazy um, but I mean, could you tell us a little bit about your love for Yoshi, kind of where that came from? And also in terms of, um, Americans in the U.S. Open swing, who are you most excited to sort of see this, this, in these next few weeks?
2: Um, honestly, I have no idea where my, my partiality for, and I'm not supposed to be partial to any player for Yoshi, but I, I definitely have a soft spot for him in terms of if he wins a match, I'm always happy for him. There, there are many players where if they win a match, I might not even know, but I generally know when Yoshi's doing well and always, you know, puts a smile on my face. Uh, but, but listen, he will always have a soft spot in my heart because he agreed to play Yoshi, the dinosaur in my production of DVO carts at the Delray Beach Open in I believe yes. 2020, 2019. Um, and I walked up to him with Yoshi head in hand and explained to him the concept that he was going to be Yoshi, and this is the head that he would be <laughs> to do a mock Mario Kart in the parking lot of the Delray Beach Open. And he without hesitation. Said yes. And it's that kind of, of willingness to think outside the box to be like, yeah, sure, that's how I have no idea what you just said to me, but the answer is yes. I will always appreciate that. And and as a result, we got DVO Kart, which you know starred Yoshi, Stevie Johnson, and Jordan Thompson as as Mario, as Luigi and Mario, respectively. <laughs> and, uh, the mustaches. It, it, my career peaked at that moment and and for (laughs) Yoshi, uh, I I will always be happy when he has success. (laughs) Yes. Um, as far as Americans go, there are a lot to choose from. I was actually, it's funny. I was watching tennis channel earlier today. I'm going to see if I can pull up the graphic, um, Right now there are 17, On this is on the men's side, 17 players in the top 150, which is the most in the ATP, 13 players in the top 100 from the US, most in the ATP, um, seven in the top 50, also most in ATP, and nine are younger than 25. And I think that that all of those things are really great and, and bode well in particular on the men's side. I don't think anybody's been concerned on the women's side. Um, Uh, as we speak, Coco Goff is is on court with Naomi Osaka. And I think Coco, she has had sort of, in my opinion, the ideal upward trajectory, not to get off your your city open topic, but I I just think sometimes it's hard when the players who have a ton of success off the bat don't get to go up the staircase step-by-step. And I think that some people can sort of catch up and some can't, but Coco to me, has just taken it one step at a time, albeit she's an incredibly gifted tennis player. And so she's been able to maybe do it faster than some others, but it's been very, it's all seemed to be within herself. And I think that, that that's why Pogo is going to be around for a long time. And it's going to be a factor for a long time. Um, But I mean, I, I really hope that Corda, can recover from his. Oh, do we have some quarter fans now? <laughs> josephina on- is I am
1: the biggest quarter the- fan. She's brought <laughs> me onto the bandwagon, but she's the OG. I
2: I love that for you, josephina Um, he I really like Sebi personally. I got to do a feature on him for Tennis Magazine and so got to talk to him in depth and and really like his mental approach he had issues with um was it shin splints yeah um, mm-hmm. a yeah. of wimbledon so hopefully you know he'll be able to get matched tough by the time the u.s open rolls around but he's just his game is so pretty to watch
0: yeah and he's so composed on court like i and he's such a young player too which is like very unique to see
1: he definitely is very mature radiates that
2: Yes. And it's, I I don't think it's, it's any um, coincidence that his parents were both extremely accomplished athletes. And obviously his sisters have done incredible things as well. It's funny, if you've ever seen Nelly Corda hit a golf ball, it looks like Sebi Korda hitting ground strokes, just (laughs) like it's, it's, I mean, their arms are like pasta in the best pasta. (laughs) Um, But yeah I mean there's so there's so many Cressy I've (laughs) I've had more contact with Maxine Cressy probably than a lot of players just because he's happened to do well at a couple of tournaments where I've emceed Uh, I find him fascinating for for more reasons than one but not the least of which the fact that he is a servant volleyer and people are like what's that um so yeah hugely impressed by what he has been able to do jack sock is playing good tennis again i don't know guys there are a lot of options i could go on and on about the americans right now and i think that's a good thing for all of us
0: yeah well um we're going to move into some wta tennis now of course also at the city open but uh, we have, we're moving into our quarterfinal stage. So we have Darius Seville versus Rebecca Marino. And then Anna Kalinskaya versus the consistent dark horse, Kaya Kanepi, who is known for her Grand Slam upsets. And then we also have Raducanu versus Samsonova. And Raducanu just defeated Camilo Sorio, another young talent. We like her very much. And we were just... um. Wondering, like, since we're going to talk about Emma Raducanu, since she's been a huge thing in WTA tennis lately, can this be her chance to really cement her footing ahead of the U.S. Open? Like, is this ample preparation for, like, defending her title? Uh,
2: Listen, if she defends her title, I that will be one of the most amazing that that will be the only thing that could trump her winning last year would be her title in in my opinion Uh, because I was I mean watching her march to the U.S. Open title last year was one of the most incredible things I've seen in person in my career Um, and just sort of getting able to talk to her after that win and and realizing looking at her and realizing that it had not even come close to sinking in and then everything that she has had to had to deal with in terms of press and media and criticism and all the things in the last year when I was talking about skipping steps she skipped a lot of steps and that mentally is is really a challenge but I I don't know if you guys saw after her match against um, uh, Osorio today where She just had like skin flapping off her hand. She had blisters on her hand. So a Samsonova is, is tough. I would not be surprised if Radikanu. I mean, if you have blisters, that's a really hard thing to play through. And if you've ever tried to put a bandaid on a blister, you know, it does not work. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. So I, I will be interested to see if she can actually play that next match, but The fact that she had that grinding win over Camilla Osorio, I think that that is, that's big for her. Because it's been, it's just proving to herself like, yeah, I can do this, even though in the past year, other than at the US Open, I haven't done a whole lot of it. But I still know how to do it. And I think that's more important than anything else.
1: Yeah. Also, Emma's been sort of having, uh, trying out some new coaches as well. So it kind of really looks like she's trying to find her footing on the tour because that wind kind of came out of nowhere she's still adjusting um but we also have some WTA action in San Jose some good players there Shelby Anissimova who's been made the second week of every slam so far on Sabor and then we also have um Daria Kazakina in the mix we talked about her and Andre Rublev's um groundbreaking interview the other week um in our last episode and I think that was a big example of how we're really seeing um, these sort of social media outlets being such an interesting way for these players to really be able to show their authentic selves because there was a lot in that interview which I thought was really important for them to share.
2: That was incredible to me for a number of reasons. Obviously, there was the potential public backlash that um, Dasha in particular could have faced for, for what she said in the interview, but also the fact that there is an incredible trust. There's the journalist who did the interview, the male journalist, and then also, and I'm cannot remember her name off the top of my head, but there's another Russian journalist uh, who does, I believe does. Oh yeah,
0: I forgot her name as well, but she also, I believe she got fired. Is Mm -hmm. that the one you're talking about? That she got fired from her job for supporting them.
2: censured in some way for for speaking out in defense of, of those interviews. And I, so I was amazed at what was said and then also amazed that it was said at all because so often in the U.S. at least well and not not just in the U.S. a lot of places when there is any kind of quote-unquote journalist involved everybody clams up a little bit and so I think it speaks to the relationship that that journalist has with both Andre and Dasha Uh, and I I would love it if more agents trusted people to talk to their players in that sort of setting because a lot of times if you were to pitch an idea like that it doesn't it doesn't get past the agents because they don't want to put a player in a situation where they have no life raft so to speak um and and not that you should trust all journalists but i think that uh, and, and it has to be earned for sure but i would love it if if maybe there were some settings where there could be just a little bit more comfort and trust and I think the result would be hearing from the athletes in a way that we have never before I think that's why that interview was so shocking to everyone because they're like wait she told that to to this guy and and yes and she was totally comfortable doing so I mean at one point he had his arm around her and I do it's just I, th- I think that sort of trust, while it needs to be earned, I like that they were even open to it because it's not always the case.
0: Especially with such a sensitive topic, like just considering the situation as a whole. But um, moving on from that, but still talking about San Jose, we have Coco Golf and Naomi Osaka who are playing right now. And the winner of that match would play Paula Podosa, who we are also a huge fan of and um just in general what are your thoughts on naomi's return of course what she did last year was groundbreaking because it really opened up a portal in the tennis world to being more open about mental health and i think it did bring a lot around a lot of changes with the atp and wta tour with being more open about that and just more supportive of players in that aspect but really like what is her return looking like so far because we've seen her try to come back and then kind of not play for a little bit and then come back for more so it's been pretty odd
2: I don't think anyone could have a career like Naomi Osaka except Naomi Osaka to be able to repeatedly take large chunks of time off and then some of the comebacks have been more successful than others, but the fact that she's had several at this point in her career is wild. Um, And I watched her play um, against Zhang Chinwen the other night who is a really great young player. I, I loved watching her play, but the fact that Naomi cannot play for months and come out and play the way and serve the way that she did the other night, not many people can do that. And, and so I think if there was anyone to come along and sort of be like the cultural zeitgeist that she has been, and be able to um, touch fans far outside the realm of tennis, for the fact that she can do those things, step away, come back, and she's just like, I'm gonna play when I'm comfortable playing i i don't understand it but the fact that it works for her says that she's just the right person to to be this fascinating human that so many people are just enthralled with
1: for sure i mean we're big fans of her it's nice to see this the respect that coco and naomi share for each other both on and off the court so um those matchups are always i mean it's a win-win situation but um, excited to see how they continue to find the tour. And our last little piece of tennis news is obviously in Los Cabos, which is our ATP 250. The real um, story here is Daniil Medvedev finally back, um, that Wimbledon band. We haven't seen him back in a bit. He was having a pretty solid grass season, so who knows how Wimbledon would have gone if he had been able to play there. So I guess the question of whether or not that will affect his US Open run is kind of up in the air. Right, he is the defending champion, Um, but we definitely—it's been a while since we've seen him, so I don't really know what to expect.
2: I don't either, but I there's a consistency to the way that Daniil Medvedev goes about things in general that make me think that he may need a little bit of a runway, but I expect him to have it figured out and to be feeling very comfortable by the time he arrives in New York. Now, will it mess with his head that he's defending a Grand Slam title? Maybe that affects everyone differently. And I don't think, you know, until you're in that situation. So I, I, I find him fascinating in more ways than one. His game is fascinating. I I once asked him, I was like, would you teach a kid to play the way that you play? (laughs) probably not <laughs> um but it's it's amazing that he is able to do what he does with strokes that you would never teach anyone um so i he fascinates me he's always a great interview so i certainly hope that the hard court hard court season has good things in store for him
0: Um, okay. So now, like we promised, we have our kind of rapid fire slash fun questions. Ready. So the first one is what has been your favorite project assignment or job just in general, like an opportunity your job has given you? Two. One, DBO cart, which was mentioned before. The fact that everybody said yes to that.
2: I talk about you know, having walls in front of you. I don't know how everybody agreed, but they did. So DBO card is one. And then I got to do sideline reporting for the first time uh, earlier this season in Houston. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, There's nothing like having Nick Kyrios yell at his box that's right behind you, (laughs) Uh, literally from like feet away. Nothing quite like it. I really enjoyed that. Favorite tournament to cover? Newport. come to the hall of fame guys it's the
1: best yes least favorite tournament to cover
2: i okay i and this is not personal to the tournament it just happened to be the year that i went Uh, actually it's funny that there was rain there tonight but dc is a tough one the hours um it start now they start at noon but um they started at two i believe for the women and four for the men um back when i was there which was five five-ish years ago um it rained so hard the floors were moving the floors of the media center were going like oh my god Um, it just was a rough year and i think not enough sleep there were it was hot so not not by any fault of their own in dc but, but it was a rough go in terms of sleep for me uh
0: next one is most fun player to interview
2: Oh, I should have been mentally prepared for this question beforehand. Um, Shoot. There are so many good ones. Um, Just list them. Any good ones. I mean, Roger is probably number one because I say this, but I mean, you could say, Roger, why is this blue? And you could say, Blair, I don't know the technical reason, but... I can tell you why the blue sky brings me such joy while I'm on the tennis court. I mean, and he's <laughs> in a completely different direction, make you feel like you asked the most intelligent question of all time. He's just that good, and he what has a cutie presence. Um, you no, know, Roger's incredible. Um, Grigor Dimitrov is. Always a pleasure. Um, always very gregarious and talkative. I love Daniil Medvedev. Uh, Paula Badosa has has been a, a new favorite of mine on the women's side. Thoroughly enjoy her. Sloane Stevens is always interesting. There are a lot of them. A lot. Um,
0: next one is most difficult player to interview.
2: <sighs> there, you know. <sighs> There are some players who you always sort of felt like were, were trying to, like, <laughs> catch you in some way. Yeah. Um, there, Anastasia Sevastova was was one that oh was very... I had, I, she was great in person. I would see her, she would smile, I would wave. On the court, though, I felt like she was trying to, like, find a way to be like, no, 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 or, you know, I didn't beat that person then, or... or you know, the last time he played, she hit 27 winners. Of course she won the match. There there are just certain players that I feel like are trying to, to get you in some way. Um, She is one. Johanna Kanto was a little bit like that, uh, where I always was like, you know, triple checking my facts and making sure there wasn't like the way that I phrased something was exactly right, just because you didn't want to give the player anything that they could pick on. Um And I don't even think they did it consciously. I think it just might've been a personality thing.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, Dream project.
2: An alt cast commentary on a Grand Slam final with a co-commentator of my choosing.
1: Nice. Nice. (laughs) I like that. All right, it's a zombie apocalypse. Which three players would you choose to have with you to help survive?
2: Um, Daniil Medvedev, for sure.
1: Okay. Um,
2: I'd take Iga.
1: Yes, this, the brains. She
2: definitely yeah. would be smart. She's, she's red enough that I feel like uh, she could help us out. And then I'm going to go with someone who is just physical. Um, who can we think of that, you know? Could Maria
1: talk- Sockery.
2: Oh yes, you could like
1: course. take out all of them.
2: Um, and and Maria Sacre, Daniil, Iga, and Maria. It's perfect.
1: Great. And last
0: question: What's next in your career, for you?
2: I will let you know when I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to do more in the broadcast world. Um. And I would love to maybe bring a little bit of the digital space to the broadcast world. To me, there is room for those two things to be married in a way that they currently are not. And I think that my background gives me a unique ability to do that for a broadcast outlet, whoever wants to hire me for that. (laughs) But that's what I would love to do. I think there is room to sort of, bring them together um more so than they are now
0: yeah agreed there's definitely a lot of room for just modernization I guess in the tennis world especially with all these new outlets that we're seeing now so it's just a very incredible stage of just tennis and tennis media that we're in right now and we're very glad to be at well we're not at the forefront but we're at like we're trying to lead that gen z perspective you know so i think everyone is on a pretty important mission on this zoom call
2: <laughs> I, I love it i the mission excites me i'm glad it excites you guys and you know we got to keep plugging away
1: yes all right blair thank you so much for joining us we were so excited for this thank you for taking your time um out of your busy schedule to chat with us we hope you had fun because we certainly did. And you've left us inspired. We'll say that.
2: Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, you guys are inspiring me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime.
1: Yes, of course. course. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining us. And that is game, set, and match for today. If you
0: like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the T-On Tour.
1: Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on.
0: Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.
1: Follow us on social media at holdontoyourracket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the U.S. Open swing continues.
0: And remember, my name is Josephina
1: And my name is Shravya.
0: And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.